Brothers and sisters, please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 17. John 17. This is uh, perhaps one of the deepest portions of Scripture in the whole Bible. It is true that the whole Bible has or is deep and has much to teach us, yet John 17 is and has been recognized to be one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. One Puritan minister called this chapter a pearl among the gold. A high point of Scripture. We'll read from the entire chapter, but we will focus in uh, simply on verse 9 through the first half of verse 11. Verse 9 through the first half of verse 11. Hear, brothers and sisters, the word of our Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction." that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself and that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thus far the reading of God's perfect word. Brothers and sisters, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would open this passage up to us this evening, that you would give us uh, open minds and open hearts to understand and to receive, to love, to put into practice this wonderful word that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that you would give me as well wisdom with how to speak concerning the love of Jesus Christ, a love which excels all description, a care which is beyond any words that I can say. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most comforting statements I think someone could ever say is these words. I have been praying for you. I have been praying for you. Uh, certainly, congregation, I hope you've heard these words many, many times in your own lives. And it may come to the point uh, where you have even thought little about these words. And you hear someone tell you, I've been praying for you. And it's just kind of like, sounds good. Thank you. And that's the end of the story. But brothers and sisters, these words, I have been praying for you, are some astounding words. To know that somebody is lifting you up in prayer. To know that somebody is bringing your needs before the Heavenly Father. That should be to us a wonderful comfort. Even when we're talking about about earthly prayers here, about one saint praying for another saint, that should be a wonderful joy to us to, to hear that someone else is praying for us. And yet, friends, I'm sure that you'll agree with me that our prayers upon this earth in themselves are flawed. We do not pray for others with the strength that we should. We don't pray for others with the focus that we should. We don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray as much as we should or about as much as we should. If it wasn't for the fact that our prayers are made accessible or acceptable to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the fact that the Holy Spirit sanctifies our prayers, our prayers would never be acceptable before God. God. 
and yet it is a comfort to hear I have prayed for you. Brothers and sisters, we have before us a prayer. A prayer given not uh, in weakness, but in perfection. Given not uh, by simply a fallible man, but by a perfect man, the God-man. Given not by, uh, by weakened sinners, but by the beloved Son of the Father. A prayer offered by the One who did that which was most pleasing to His Father, who glorified His Father, who honored His Father in His life and in His death. And this prayer that's before us this evening, brothers and sisters, it is a prayer of intercession on our behalf. If we belong to Jesus Christ, this prayer was given, brothers and sisters, for you. Christ says, I have prayed for you. I want to study these few verses that we have before us this evening, congregation, and we'll see uh, two things about Christ's prayer here. I wish to direct your attention to the fact that, uh, or the people whom Christ prays for, the people whom Christ prays for, and second, the reason Christ prays for them. We begin with the people that Christ prays for. Look with me at the first half of verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Congregation, when we read these words, we should remember that while Christ is praying to His Father here, nonetheless, this prayer was in many ways for us, not only for our benefit, as we'll see this evening, but also to teach us to understand some of the care that Jesus has for us. Some of the love that He has for us. And, and here, in this verse, almost more than anywhere else in the chapter, Jesus shows this care, this love for His disciples. And by extension, us. I want to draw your attention to the people that Christ is speaking about here. Notice, congregation, that Jesus prays for His people particularly. His people particularly. He says, I am praying for them. Who is this them that He's speaking about? Well, verse 6 and 7 tell us. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. It's these people, the people who were out of the world, who, who were a part of the world, but who have been taken from the world, who now belong to Jesus Christ, who have begun to, to have faith by grace in the Savior that Christ prays for. 
And Jesus says, I'm praying for them. He says again in verse 9 that He's praying for the ones whom You have given Me. Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, knows His flock and it's for them in particular that He looks after. Some of you, brothers and sisters, are parents. And perhaps during the summer, you take your children uh, to a park. And when you go to the park, your children perhaps play in the playground And there may be many children that are in this playground, and certainly you're aware of these other children, but parents, if you have children, certainly your focus, your main focus, is going to be on your own children. Watching over them. Making sure uh, that they are safe. Making sure that if they fall, that they haven't busted open their head. Why is it that you pay particular attention to your children? The answer should be obvious because they are your children. They belong to you. These other children, well, they might be all well and good, but you have a particular care for your children. To use another image, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, perhaps a man who is in love He may know uh, in an objective sense that there are other women out there. But he only has eyes for that one woman. He has his eye on one. He thinks of that one. When he thinks of of the uh, beautiful woman, he thinks of her because he loves her and, and that is the person that he has set his love on. In the same way, congregation, Jesus Christ is thinking about the people that belong to Him. He is thinking on the people on whom He has set His eye and on them particularly. But notice also, brothers and sisters, if that's not strong enough, that Jesus is praying not only for His people particularly, but only for His people here. Jesus is careful to say He is not praying for the world. He says this again in verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. He's not praying for the people we might refer to as reprobates. The people who are not elect. All His love. All His intercession here is focused on His flock, on His chosen people, the people that belong to Him, the people that will belong to Him, speaking of the disciples and speaking of all of us who are in Jesus Christ or who will be in Jesus Christ. A little later on in this chapter, Jesus reinforces this idea in verse 20. Look with me there. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. So Jesus is praying only, particularly, for those who belong to Him. Do not misunderstand me, uh, congregation, it it may be that there is some sense in which Christ uh, prays for the the reprobate. Uh, Jesus did on the cross say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We don't know that full extent, but 
if he does, his prayer for the reprobate is very, very different than his prayer for his own here. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says there is a world of difference between Jesus' prayer for his own here and Jesus' prayer uh, for, for the unrepentant upon the cross. Consider the import, the importance of this truth, friends. One of the most common errors that you may find in the church today is the idea of an unlimited atonement, an unlimited election, an unlimited intercession. The idea that God only has the vaguest notion of who will be saved. He only has the, a, a kind of vague love that's just spread around everywhere and, and doesn't, doesn't ever descend into specifics. As though God's salvation is something that is, is, is just to be given to anyone. And His care to be given to anyone. Jesus does promise that all who come to Him, He will never cast out. But He also promises that all the Father gives to Him will come to Him. We see this proclaimed here, congregation. Jesus knows His own. He prays for His own. Scripture tells us in John 10 that He calls His own sheep by name. Luke 12 says that even the hairs of our heads are numbered. That even before we were born, Psalm 139 says God has numbered the days of our lives. That He saw us in the innermost part. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He says to Jeremiah that before He was even born, God knew Him. He says to us that He knows us, loves us, chose us, predestined us before the foundation of the world congregation. And so therefore, when Jesus goes before His Father, in this final moment before He goes to the cross, His thoughts, His care, His intercession... Is for those who belong to Him. He intercedes for them before His heavenly Father. Far from limiting His love, Jesus' love for His elect should show us just how great His love is. Brothers and sisters, when you think upon your lives, are you people worthy of salvation? I hope it's not a surprise to you when I say that no, you are not, and I am not. We were a people of the world, dead in our sins and trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were walking according to the lusts of the flesh, according to the, the desires of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Yet Jesus would extend His love to blind, 
filthy, ugly sinners such as you and me. And He would pray for us. And as He steps uh, forward to the cross, His thought is upon His chosen people. Friends, do you struggle with your assurance of faith? Do you ask in your heart whether God could save such a one as you? See here the love of Jesus for us. Jesus does not save us because we are worthy, but because He chose us. Congregation, remember that while uh, He is speaking uh, for our benefit, He is also praying especially for the disciples here. Remember the type of people that these disciples were. They were a people who proclaimed that they believed strongly, and yet just a few hours after Jesus prays this prayer for them, Peter will be denying Jesus' name. One of the disciples, most likely Mark, will run off naked rather than be in custody with his Savior. Every one of the disciples will ignore him. Just a couple days later, Thomas will say, even um, unless I put my hands in his side and in, in his hands, I will never believe. These were not a people worthy of salvation either. Do you struggle with the assurance of your faith? Take comfort in the fact that Jesus prays for you. Do you struggle furthermore, congregation, with, with doubts? Take comfort. Jesus prays for you, intercedes on your behalf. He is able to give you strength in the faith. Look to Him. Second, however, brothers and sisters, I'd like to draw your attention to uh, the rest of the passage where Jesus lays out some reasons why He prays for them. We see in the second place the reasons Christ prays for them. Once Jesus has identified His people, the people that belong to Him, now He turns to give His Father reasons, arguments that bolster His prayers, that make His prayers all the more urgent and compelling. I think honestly there are four or five or, or six points that we could draw from these verses, but I'd like to draw your attention uh, merely to, to the two main points that Jesus makes here. First, Jesus prays because the Father also cares for us. And we see this in verse 10. He says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. We have here, congregation, incidentally, a declaration of Jesus' unity with the Father. The fact that Christ is uh, God Himself and the Son of God. Because Jesus says, all my things are yours. Well, we can say that. But then He says, all your things are mine. 
And what does this mean for us, congregation, but that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we belong to the Father also? Simply because the Father has given us to the Son, it doesn't mean that we stop belonging to the Father. No, we continue to belong to Him. Now, this is, again, certainly something the Father knows. Jesus is not declaring things in this prayer that the Father does not know, but it is given for our sake that Christ prays this prayer. He wants to make it clear that the Father, as well as the Son, has an interest in us. Brothers and sisters, when I was a, a, a little kid, I would go to Aldi with my parents and there was a section in all these that, that had technology. And one day I saw a radio that was in this technology section. It was $40. And I really, really wanted this radio. And so I scrimped and I saved and I, I, I got together all my money. And eventually I was able to buy this radio that was so expensive for me at the time. It was perhaps the first thing that I ever bought with my own money, so to speak. And I loved that radio because it was mine, because I had saved up, I had bought this radio, and, and so it belonged to me. And we know as a general principle that this is the case. If we own something, we are much more likely to take care of it, to love it, to cherish it. Congregation, these people belong to Christ, but they belong to the Father also. We were bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God the Father gave His only begotten Son, beloved, for us. And therefore, the Father will take care of us. And therefore, when Jesus brings us before His Father in prayer, He says, these are yours, Father. I pray for them, and they are yours. So take care of them. Care for them. Romans 8 puts it this way. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him graciously give us all things? This should be, or, or rather is, a bolster to the prayers of Jesus Christ for His Father. Second congregation, notice that Jesus prays because He returns to His Father. Because He returns to His Father, He says in verse 11 in the first half, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Earlier in the evening, in, in the context of this passage congregation, Jesus had spent some time, some hours with His disciples explaining this fact, that He was going to return to His Father. And while He said these things, He gave them many promises to comfort them. He told them in, in chapter 13 through, through 16 that He was preparing a place for them. And that's why He was returning to be with His Father. He told them that He was going in order to return. 
He told them that He was going, and because He was going, He was going to send the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to them. He told them that He was going so that they might pray to the Father. And so on and so forth. If you were to read through John 13-16, through 16, you would find Jesus presenting us with, with reason after reason of why His going to the Father is a good thing. But friends, even after He gives these promises, even after He says, it's to your advantage that I go away, nonetheless, congregation, it's true that these disciples would not feel the blessing of being physically present with Jesus for a while. You and I still feel this lack, I am certain. I imagine that many of you, like me, pray and hope and yearn for the resurrection and the time when we will be once more with Jesus, physically present, to see Him face to face, to know Him as He is, to be like Him. It's for this reason that Jesus sets His Father to watch over His people, knowing that they need His help knowing that, that while Jesus was returning to be with the Father, that His disciples would remain in the world among a people who hate them, among a people who, who seek to, to destroy Christianity. And so while these disciples are, are no longer part of the world, while you and I no longer are part of the world if we're in Jesus Christ, nonetheless, we are in the world. And Jesus gives a strength to this prayer by saying that He is returning. More importantly, friends, notice the promise that is implicit in Jesus' words here. Jesus does not return, does not go for no reason. Jesus is not telling the disciples, I'm going on a vacation to Malibu. He's not telling His disciples, I'm going away, I just need some time apart from you. Well, no. He is going to be with the Father. And therefore, congregation, as Jesus Christ prays this prayer, we ought to remember that Jesus was going first to die on their behalf, then to resurrect for their comfort, and finally, and most importantly for our passage this evening, He was going to be with His Father at the right hand of His Father to continue this prayer. Think on the blessing of Jesus' departure, friends. Jesus' prayer here, as wonderful as it is, as much as I've told you that it's a high point of Scripture, well, nonetheless, congregation, this is only the seed. The beginning. The very first fruits of Jesus' death on our behalf. Consider the fact with me that Christ's prayer here is only the smallest hint of what Christ does even now at the right hand of the Father. 
this prayer that we read from or that we study from is it's wonderful in that it gives us a glimpse of Jesus' intercession for us. But friends, it is only a glimpse. It pales in comparison to what even now is taking place at the right hand of our Father in Heaven. Consider, congregation, that before in our passage this evening, Jesus prayed His prayer in a garden or on the way to a garden. Now He is at the right hand of His Father. Consider that this prayer took place before Jesus' death. But now Jesus has accomplished all. Consider that before, as He prays this prayer, He spoke to His Father in His humility, having taken the form of a servant. But now Jesus Christ speaks with a name that is above every name. Yet even greater congregation before this prayer that we read from, it was a hurried prayer. A matter of a few minutes, a matter of a few hours. But now, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, our Lawyer on God's behalf, and on our behalf rather, He pours out effectual prayers continually. He lifts his sleeves and he says, look at these wounds that I received on behalf of these my poor and wretched sinners. Yet they've been washed in my blood. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus bore the sin of many and makes, notice the present tense there, makes intercession for the transgressors. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, if anyone does sin, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Brothers and sisters, can we lose hope when we have at the right hand of the Father one who says, I died for them? Can we lose hope and can we despair when we have one who says, I suffered on their behalf? Look at my blood. Pass over their sin, for it has been paid. Congregation, this prayer of Jesus Christ for you, if you are in Him, is a prayer which should give us comfort upon comfort. It should remind us of, uh, of just how wonderful a Savior we have that when Jesus uh, went to the cross, when Jesus went to be with His Father, when Jesus sat at the right hand of His Father, He was not and is not abandoning us, but that He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. That He has said that He is with us even to the end of the age. Do you understand this comfort, brothers and sisters? That Christ intercedes for you. That Jesus prays for His own. In conclusion, congregation, I'd like 
to draw your attention, or, or, or rather to, uh, to consider for a moment what this truth ought to mean for us. In our heads, in our hearts, and in our hands. First of all, brothers and sisters, in, in our heads, remember that Christ intercedes for you. When you are hopeless, remember that Christ intercedes for you. When you are doubting, remember that Christ intercedes for you. When you are suffering, remember that Christ intercedes for you. When you are overwhelmed with this world and you don't know what to do, when you feel as though you're attacked on every side, remember this simple truth. If you need to write it down somewhere where you see it every day, then do so that Christ intercedes for you. And bring this this truth furthermore into your hearts. Let it sink down. You have not been left alone. So do not lose heart. When the world comes up against you, remember that Christ intercedes for you. And therefore, have no fear. And finally, congregation, with your hands, when you pray, go to the Father with the confidence of your prayers. If you are in Jesus Christ, your prayers will never be forgotten never unheard, they are brought before our Father in heaven. Don't pray, therefore, with a weak heart, but boldly go to the throne of grace. If you struggle with assurance, use the very words here. Say, Lord, Jesus prays for me. I bring my prayers to You knowing that He is able to sanctify them. And finally, when you are tempted, congregation, use this truth as a stop against sin. To say that Jesus prays for me ought to remind us that we ought not to be in sin. To say Jesus prays for me means that we belong to Him and that He is watching us and He is taking care of us and He is reminding us of our, uh, uh, reminding His Father of our needs at every moment. And congregation, if you are not now in Jesus Christ, if you do not yet belong to Him, this ought to be an encouragement to you to come to Him in repentance and faith Because Jesus does not pray for the world. But He prays for those who belong to Him. Are you now a part of the world? Come to the Savior. Plead for grace. Pray to the Lord that the Holy Spirit would give you repentance of your sins and life in Christ so that you too might have the comfort and the knowledge that Jesus Christ prays for you. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, we come before you this day knowing that Christ intercedes on our behalf, pouring out effectual prayers day by day, moment by moment. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to live in, in, in constant awareness of this truth, to put aside fear, For if the Lord Jesus prays for us, then surely His prayers will be answered. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.